Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. I'm excited to do a Bible study with you guys today on baptism, the second step on the road to salvation, walks hand in hand with repentance. We're going to learn all about it today from what the Bible has to show us. We definitely see examples of this throughout the Old Testament in the original tabernacle plan. When you would first enter into the tabernacle, you would first come to the bronze altar, which you would offer a sacrifice for your sins. This represented repentance in the Old Testament. And the second thing you would come to was the bronze lever. The bronze lever represented baptism. It was a mirrored bowl that was made out of the donated looking glasses of the women of Israel and it was made to be a reflective bowl that held the water for the priests to wash themselves clean before entering the holiest of holies in the tabernacle. I like to think of the mirrors as being a way for God to show that he looks on the inside of man and not just at the outside reflection but it was also a way for the priests to examine themselves and make sure that they were clean to enter into God's holiest of holies, which is an example of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and us receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. The tabernacle plan was a foreshadow of salvation in the New Testament. If you even look at the furniture set up in the tabernacle, it actually, from God's vantage point, formed a cross from the altar into the holiest of holies. So it's not until the uh, New Testament that we actually get to see examples of baptism. And it starts with John the Baptist, who gave us a demonstration of baptism in the Bible. And of course, it walks hand in hand with his message of repentance So if you will turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1, we will read a little bit about John the Baptist. I will pause with you on the recording for a second for you to turn there, but as I love to remind you, you can always pause it. The power is in your hands. (laughs) Alright, John chapter 1 starting at verse 19. This is John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, Who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well then, who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophets we were expecting? No. 
Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied with the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, If you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? And John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I am not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps on his sandals. This encounter took place at Bethany, an area east of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So John is the first example that we see of somebody baptizing and it apparently takes place in water and he had crowds to witness this baptism so that people could be a testament for what they had seen other people pledge an act of repentance and belief in the coming Messiah. So let's let's move over to Matthew chapter 3 where we'll get to read some more about John the Baptist and see what he has to say there. Starting with verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came to Judea wilderness and began preaching. His message was repent from your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is the voice shouting in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. So here we have John preaching to repent from your sins because the way to salvation was on its way. So they had been waiting for a Messiah who would cleanse them of all of their sins and make them right with God. And John was the voice sent to prepare that way that Jesus was coming. Verse 4, John's clothes were woven with coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. So it took them confessing their sins and admitting the wrong that they had in their life for him to baptize them. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he explained. Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented from your sins and turned to God. Do not just say to each other, we are safe for we are descendants of Abraham, for that means nothing. I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Wow, what a prophecy. So he's telling the Pharisees that they're not repenting from their sins by how they live their lives. They haven't really acknowledged the wrong that they're doing. I think it's great that he says, don't don't take assurance in the fact that you're a descendant of Abraham because God can make descendants of Abraham's out of these stones. And he's right, that's where the Gentiles come into play because the descendants of Abraham didn't recognize the sin in their life and the fact that they needed Jesus Christ. So it was offered to the Gentiles. So in verse 10, even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the tree, which we talk about in, later in the Bible about us being grafted into this tree. It says here, yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. 
I baptize with water those who repent from their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be a slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. And he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn and burning the chaff with never-ending fire. So John tells you here that he is baptizing people into a baptism of repentance, which is to get them to acknowledge their sins and see that they have wrong in their life and to get them to put their hope and faith in the coming Messiah, the one who is to come after him, that will baptize with fire and will wash away your sins and forgive everything. And of course in the Bible, Jesus is our witness and he came to earth to live how we're supposed to live. So he does an example for everything in the Bible. And of course, he prays, he fasts, he shows us how we're supposed to connect with God. And of course, in the Bible here, Jesus himself gets baptized. So continuing with verse 13 in Matthew 3, it says, When Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. Why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. Now I'm going to read this one in the King James Version as well, because I read a lot in the New Living Translation, because it's just easier to read. But in the King James it says, And Jesus answered unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it is becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And then, of course, in the New Living Translation, it says, So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy. So God expressed in an audible voice from heaven that he was pleased in Christ, exampling for mankind how we're to submit to the obedience of God by being baptized as a sign of our confession of Christ in our life and as a sign of obedience to the word of God. So that's why we are baptized and we do it in this way that before a congregation of believers to witness this confession and this act and also full submersion so we go down into the water like Christ and come up out of the water which we'll read about later is representative of being buried and rising from the dead with Christ and we do it all of course in the name of Jesus Christ so let's go to Matthew 28 and 19. It reads, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here we, Jesus is giving 
and instruction to go and to witness to everyone and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, some people have taken this scripture and made doctrine out of it where they baptize in the titles of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And I have never practiced that. And that's because the titles, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost are not a name, but the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost is Jesus Christ. And I also don't do that because this wasn't an actual baptism. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven and he's just telling his disciples what to do here. But it's not him actually performing a baptism and showing them this is the way that they should baptize. So as we move along here, we'll see how actual baptisms took place in the Bible. But let's go to Mark chapter 16, verses 15, which say, He said to them, Go into the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whosoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whosoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and they will drink deadly poisons, and it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his words by signs that accompanied it. So, we have a command from God to go and to teach the gospel to the whole world. And we also have a promise here that anybody who believes in Jesus Christ and is baptized in his name will be saved. And these signs will accompany those that they will speak in tongues, cast out devils, heal the sick. All of these work hand in hand and walk together. You can't receive salvation and not the promises. The promises walk with salvation. We are saved and with that salvation comes the ability to perform miraculous signs to help attract other people to that same salvation. John 3 and 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, nobody can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born of water and of spirit. So it is important that we get baptized in water and then we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit so that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. But now we're going to turn to Acts and start to see them put this all into action in the book of Acts. <laughs> so let's turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to start right in the beginning. Chapter 1. Verse 2, until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. 
Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends his gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, in chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there came the sound from heaven, like a roaring mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then it looked like flames and tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And every one present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone present. Boys, girls, everyone. And began to speak in new tongues as the Spirit gave them the ability. And of course everybody in the town starts to go crazy and say that they're drunk. Peter gets up and tells them all that they haven't been drinking and preaches to them about the Messiah and the coming Christ and what they were actually seeing with everybody speaking in tongues and it being the promise that the Spirit would be poured out on them. And then we pick up in Acts 2.38 where well, we'll start in 36 where it says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Each one of you must repent from your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is unto you and to your children and even to the Gentiles. All have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging them and all the listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter had said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So immediately they heard the words that Peter had said, they pricked their hearts, they recognized sin and the fact that we have been taking out of covenant with God because of our sins and they repented from that and turned towards God in their heart and knew that they needed Jesus Christ for salvation. So as an act and a sign of them receiving this revelation, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. And of course, immediately after this, the apostles went out and began to cast out devils and heal people and perform miraculous signs empowered by the Holy Ghost, which is exactly what we're supposed to do today as believers. But let's move to Acts chapter 8, where we'll read a little bit about Philip preaching in Samaria. I'm going to pick up in, chat, in verse number 12. But now the people believed Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. When Simon himself believed, he was baptized and began following Philip wherever he went. 
and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles performed by Philip. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there, and as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, and they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Peter and John laid their hands on the believers, they received the Holy Spirit. So here we have it said again that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They weren't baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Another example of them being baptized in the name Jesus. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands upon people, he offered them money to buy the power. Let me have this power too, he explained so that when I lay hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking that God's gift can be bought. You can have no part of this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent from your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. So they didn't like the fact that he thought he could buy salvation. This is a, a great sign for us to see that salvation is not something we can purchase. Salvation is something we believe in. And as a sign of that belief, we are baptized to receive the mercy and grace that comes through salvation. And especially when it comes to the Holy Spirit too, that is a gift that is given to us. The laying on the hands administered by the apostles was a way for them to activate the anointing for people to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But it's not something that you could buy or just be taught. It's something that God freely gives to everyone who believes. And if we continue reading about Philip preaching in verse 29, Philip goes to the eunuch and the spirit told Philip go to the chariot and stay near it when Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet do you understand what you are reading Philip asked him how can I he said unless someone explains it to me so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him the eunuch was reading the passage of scriptures he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The Enoch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along, they came across some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave the order to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And they came out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went away rejoicing. 
So this verse shows us that we need to not hesitate to be baptized. <laughs> Do it now. The eunuch looked up and saw the water and said, here's a chance. Let's get baptized now. And that's the spirit that believers should have. Whether we're Jew, Gentile, all of us are called and everyone has a right to be saved. And as we're about to read about here in Acts chapter 10, Peter gets sent to the Gentiles. He didn't want to go at first, but he had a vision, the sheep being let down with the animals, and God tells him, don't call unclean what I've called clean. So, of course, Peter goes to Cornelius. And while Peter was still speaking these words, this is verse 44, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So here we have our first example of someone receiving the Holy Ghost before they're baptized. And Peter doesn't say, well, you know, it's no big deal. They've already got the Holy Ghost, so they don't have to be baptized in Jesus' name. But instead it says that he orders them to be baptized in Jesus' name. So there is significance for being baptized in Jesus' name. Even if you've received the Holy Ghost already, it is a public display of you obeying Christ. Christ said for us to be baptized in his name. So we are obedient by being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So now let's go to chapter 16 where we find Paul and Silas in prison it's the middle of the night they start worshiping god of course god delivers them and we'll pick it up here in verse 26 suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off the jailer woke up and seen that the prison doors were wide open he assumed the prisoners had escaped so he drew his sword to kill himself but Paul shouted to him stop don't kill yourself we are all here and the jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and asked sirs what must I do to be saved they replied believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household and they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. And he brought them into the house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they believed in God. So they were immediately baptized. They didn't wait. Today is the day of salvation. If you're wondering whether or not you should be baptized, you should. The Bible tells you to. Repent, recognize sin in your life, turn from it, and make a decision to be baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ.
Let's go to chapter 19. While Paulus was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Emphasis on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Now that's the same baptism that Jesus was given. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. So if it was good enough for our Savior, it should have been good enough for us, right? But that's not what Paul says. <laughs> Paul says, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who came later, meaning Jesus. So as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. And they were about 12 men in all. So here we have a believer who had been baptized the same way Jesus was baptized, but Paul still under the Spirit told them that they needed to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And immediately after they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, we have miraculous signs and wonders accompany that to show that this was the will of God. And it's the will of the God for anybody today, no matter what way you've been baptized, there's a correct way that the Bible does it. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, fully submerged underwater. And then ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3 says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. By us being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, we put ourselves under Christ's authority. Colossians 2, verses 11 through 14 says, In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away and nailed it to the cross. When we are baptized in Jesus' name, he takes our sin and nails it to the cross, having been paid for with his precious blood. That's why it's so important that we are buried with Christ in water baptism. 1 Peter chapter 3 starting at verse 18 Christ suffered for our sins once for all time he never sinned but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God he suffered physical death but he was raised to life in the spirit so he went and preached to the spirits in prison those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat 
Only eight people were saved from drowning in the terrible flood. And the water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. And that's the same authority that Christ puts in us with the Holy Spirit. So now that we've seen in the book of Acts exactly how baptism is done, it is a full submersion in water in the name of Jesus Christ as a sign of your repentance and turning to God in your heart. It's to be done in front of believers, even if you've already received the gift of the Holy Ghost, but especially to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto anybody who believes and is baptized. So now that we've seen how it's done, let's go to Romans chapter 6. Let's see the spiritual side of this. Starting in verse number 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So here we go. So do we? should we just go on sinning now that we've been baptized and we've repented? Of course not. Repentance is acknowledging sin. It's seeing how evil sin is and how much sin cost us in this life. So it's not that we could continue in sin. We shouldn't want to continue in sin. Acknowledging what sin is and how it destroys us and can kill us. We should never want to continue in something that can kill us. So that's why we've died to sin. So in verse 3 it continues. Or have you forgotten that we were joined with Christ in baptism? We were joined with him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ is raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised with him to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. So once we're crucified with Christ, sin no longer has power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So do not let sin control you and the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now 
you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set you free from the law, does that mean you can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you have become the slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey the teachings we have given you. Now you are free from the slavery of sin, to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of this weakness of your human nature, I am using this illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which leads ever deeper into sin. But now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You now are ashamed of all the things that you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So that's the other thing that being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ does. Not only does it wash away your sins and makes you stand right with God, but it also breaks the power of sin over your life so that you no longer have to sin. We are not weak Christians who have to sin and we sin every day. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you come under his authority and that gives you the authority over sin in your life. You can make a decision to not sin. You weren't, you didn't have that decision before you were baptized. You just sinned. That's what it was. Your sinful nature took over and that's, you were a slave to it. But since you've chosen to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you're no longer a slave to that. You don't have to sin. The devil will lie to Christians and tell them that since they've been baptized, they are still under his control. But I'm here to tell you that the Bible clearly teaches that we are free from the obligation to sin. Once I've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, I have authority over my life to stop sinning and live a godly, holy life for him. So that is why being baptized is so important. So today, if you're listening to this and you never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. I'm going to pray with you. And I'm going to give you some words in case you've never prayed before. But it's not the words that I'm saying that's important, but it's important that your heart makes a decision to turn towards God today. So bow your head and close your eyes and say this prayer with me. Father, I come before you today, God, and I recognize that I have sinned and I have sin in my life. And I don't want 
anything to come between me and you, God. I want you to be my God. I know that you sent your son Jesus to die for me on the cross and to pay for all my sins. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I accept Jesus Christ as the God of my life. And I ask you to come into my heart today, God, and change my life, Lord. Make me a new creature, Lord. And I worship you and thank you, God, for everything you've done in my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you prayed that with me today, then God has come into your heart today. So now make a choice to be obedient and go be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that you can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and lay hands on the sick and cast out demons and speak in new tongues and all the other miraculous signs that come with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So I thank you guys for doing this study with me. I hope you've learned something today about baptism and I hope to see all of you in heaven. So until next time, God bless you all.